This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, my friends. Oh, that was a bad one. That was off tune. Welcome back to another podcast episode. Before we jump into this, I need to tell you about two things. Now, once every few weeks, I sit down with everyone that contributes to the podcast and I basically say, what shall we talk about? Because I only have a certain number of slots available on the podcast because like it's weekly release, right? And when I tell you there are 72,000 things that I want to talk about, as well as like at least 50 things a day, including things that are totally unrelated to this podcast, like celebrity gossip and the Idaho murder trial, I realize that I just don't have enough time. So planning is crucial because I always want to create you guys the best, most helpful, most engaging types of content that is really going to change your life. This topic is one that has been coming up repeatedly on TikTok recently. And it's these types of questions. How do I identify if someone is emotionally unavailable? How do I identify if someone is avoidant or avoidantly attached? Why do I never spot their avoidance until it's too late? And why do I never see the truth of what's in front of me? It feels like everyone is so good at hiding their reality. And to this, what I say and what therapy has taught me is that you can identify if someone is emotionally unavailable. You just need to know how. And you can identify if someone is avoidant. You just need to know what you're looking for. And you can stop getting your heart broken by understanding this concept of dating and pacing while also learning about what data points you need to be collecting in the first few months when you're getting to know them without getting too attached. Because if you don't collect these data points and they appear later on when you are attached, then that is when you get your heart broken in that awkward zero to six month kind of dating phase. I knew we had to do an episode on that, but I knew we needed to go deeper because there's only so much we can cover on an episode talking about what emotional unavailability is, how it developed and how it shows up in practice. So Dr. Terry and I decided to go a little bit deeper. We have created you something extraordinary and it is everything that I wish I'd had in my teenage years, actually, and in my twenties too. 
it would have saved me so much pain, so much heartbreak, so much fighting and manipulating people to get them to love me. And honestly, it would have saved me so much crying on the kitchen floor, drunk, sober, binge eating, you name it. Like, wow, a lot of emotionally unavailable people have really hurt me in my lifetime. And I met them. My 20s were a mess and this honestly really would have helped me. So we have put together the ultimate PDF to help you identify an emotionally unavailable or avoidant partner before they break your heart. And inside this PDF, you're going to find everything backed by Dr. Terry Mack, clinical psychologist with 20 years of experience covering so many things, but mainly the 33 telltale signs to watch out for during the dating phase. The top 20 sound bites and literally the things that people say that are signs of emotional unavailability and avoidance, as well as so much more. Like the eight things you should never do if you're dating an emotionally avoidant or unavailable person, why you're attracted to these kinds of people, how to break the cycle, and so much more. We've been working on this for months and I'm so excited. It's like the perfect essential companion to your dating journey. And ultimately, it's just going to help you weed out all of the people that are not able to meet you where you are and where you deserve. Now, before we finally get into the main episode, I have one more surprise for you, which is that our sponsor, Lilyboard, has extended their 30% off the entire website just for you. So you can get your epic healing girl walk set sorted. Lilybot is an Australian designed activewear brand that has been my go-to for almost a decade. Everything fits like a glove. They hold everything in and it is literally perfect to throw on a baseball cap, throw on some gold hoops. And then whether you're hitting the gym, running errands, or just lounging around on a low day, Lilybot has you covered to make that day a little bit better. One of my favorite things about Lilybod is that they truly understand that mental health and self-care start from within and go hand in hand. And they are so much more than an activewear brand. So if you want to get a new set to keep you company whilst you're going out on your podcast walks, head to the show notes, click the link and use the code openhouse at checkout for 30% off the entire website, no matter where you are in the world. Now, let's dive into this episode and explore the fascinating world of this abstract concept of emotional unavailability. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble. And today I have the incredible Dr. Terry Mack back with us, the OG. So happy to have her back with us talking about something that is so important. And what is that, you might ask? That is the concept of emotional unavailability. Now, you hear it all the time. Oh, he's emotionally unavailable. Oh, she's emotionally unavailable. Oh, he's avoidant, et cetera, et cetera. But how often do we ever hear anyone saying, oh, I think I'm emotionally unavailable. It's not a discussion that we have very often. It's not something that we are taught to reflect on, but it is something that can literally define our lives, not only our dating lives, but our friendships, our family relationships, our relationships in the workplace, and so much more. So today we are going to get into what the fuck actually is emotional unavailability. And I've got so many questions to ask Dr. Terry, like, is that the same as being avoidant? Can you be emotionally unavailable and not know about it? Maybe even think that you are emotionally available. How does this tie back to mum and dad in childhood and so much more? So really excited for today's episode. Please go back and listen to episodes 33 and 44 after this one if you want to 
bolster your listening because there's a lot of important info in those episodes too. So yes, everyone talks about it. Not everyone knows what it is. Dr. Terry Mack, clinical psychologist, therapist, what does it mean to be emotionally unavailable? So being emotionally unavailable means a few things. It means you're uncomfortable expressing your feelings. And even a step before that, you have to know what you're feeling in order to express it. And we're going to talk about why a lot of people aren't even in touch with their internal world and their feelings. People who are emotionally unavailable are uncomfortable getting emotionally close to other people, something we call emotional intimacy or emotional connection. And they also avoid other people's feelings. So they they find it hard to sit with other people's feelings. So people who are emotionally unavailable can't do a really important part of the relationship work, which is discussing feelings, communicating, and that emotional connection that we need in order to build a strong foundation in a relationship. I think that's the perfect place to start is like, I just wrote down the difference between emotion and emotional intimacy, because I always thought, oh yeah, I'm highly emotional. Like, of course I'm emotionally available. Like, of course I'm going to tell you how I feel, et cetera, et cetera. That's being emotional. That isn't emotional intimacy. And in that setting, I had total control over what I was sharing with someone else or what emotions were coming up or were coming out. Whereas emotional intimacy, now that is really where you're getting into like the darkness of it with someone else. What are you feeling? Why are you feeling this? What happened to you that's making you feel this? When you feel this, what memories is it taking it back to? How is your body, how is your nervous system reacting to what happened today versus what happened in the past? So I think that is just so important to define the difference between being emotional and being emotionally available or unavailable. Yeah. So a lot of people feel like they are emotionally available. They can express their feelings. They can tell their life story. But in fact, that doesn't necessarily mean you're emotionally available. And we're going to get into how emotional unavailability shows up in practice. But I think as ever, let's take this back to the foundations. How does that tie back to maybe our childhood unit or our childhood experience? Yeah. So in order for us to understand what we're feeling and even why we're feeling that way, we would have needed someone to help us learn that skill. And unfortunately, our parents are human and they were never taught the skill. They were never emotionally attuned to by their parents. And so a lot of us were not taught, one, how to tune into what we're feeling and two, to understand why we're feeling that way. So let me just give you some examples. Ideally, when a child is in pain or scared or sad, they can come to their parent and show them that feeling. Maybe they crawl into their lap and they're crying and they're they're scared. And attuned, an emotionally attuned parent will hold the child and kind of reflect back what they're seeing. Oh, it looks like you're upset. What are you feeling? And they invite the child to look internally and describe what it is they're feeling, what is going on internally. They will hold space for the child to communicate about what they're scared about, what they're sad about. They will comfort the child. A lot of us were not given that opportunity, not because we had bad parents, but because we had ill-equipped parents. So 
some of the responses that some of us may have gotten might be like, oh, you're fine. You know, there's nothing to be scared of. Ranging from that to suck it up, grow up, stop crying. A lot of us may have even been shamed for having feelings. It may have been dangerous for some of us to have feelings. If we were with an abusive parent or a, you know, a parent that was scary or aggressive, if we showed emotion, it may have escalated the abuse, the violence, the emotional abuse. And so for many different reasons, as children, many of us learned that it wasn't safe to have feelings and that we better keep them hidden. You know, I mean, we could spend a whole episode on this, but if we did not learn as children to tune into ourselves and say, oh, you know, my stomach feels funny. What's going on in there? And to learn to put words to our feelings. You know, we were talking before this episode about like the feelings wheel, you know, that we're seeing on TikTok, where children are asked to kind of look at this wheel and identify what they're feeling. If we weren't taught how to do that, we're going to grow up into adults that are really disconnected from our internal experience. So, you know, I want everybody listening to this to really ask themselves, think about mom, think about dad, or think about your caregivers. When you were in pain, when you were scared, when you were sad, could you go to either one or both of those people? Was there anyone you could crawl into their lap and be comforted? Could you cry openly? Could you say to one of your parents or your caregiver, you hurt my feelings? You scared me. I didn't like that. And what would the response have been to that? Many of us learned it wasn't safe. It wasn't okay to be honest about how we're feeling and to express that. And the real problem with that is if we learn not to express our feelings, that causes us a lot of problems in adulthood. Relationship problems, substance abuse problems, addictions, physical problems, ulcers, that sort of thing. So all of this really started in childhood. And a lot of us as adults feel like, oh, I am emotionally available. But the truth is, most of the time, a lot of us are walking around never checking in with ourselves and never asking ourselves, one, how am I feeling? And two, what do I need? And if we're not asking those questions, we can't give ourselves what we need or we can't ask for what we need. That's so important what you've just shared there. I'm so glad we've just covered that. And the way that I kind of wrote down this little summary as you were talking is that it's almost like a two-stage process, which is like, one, what is coming up for you? Can you even identify it? Can you identify those feelings that are happening in your body, in your head, wherever they are in the body? And two, are you able to express it? And they seem to be very different things to me. You know, the identification and then the expression. And I think you've just perfectly summarized how this episode will relate to so many, because like I said, I've always thought that I'm so emotionally available, but then you say things like crying openly or communicating openly. And I just had these two memories come back to me, which were both really sad memories, actually, which was like both times that my, both of my grandmas died on two totally separate occasions. The first one I was like eight. And I remember I came home from school and I just didn't get out of the car. So everyone went into the house and I just sat in the car in the dark and just cried because obviously now we're discussing this. I didn't feel like I could express that in front of people inside. And then the exact same thing happened like 20 years later when my other grandma died. And I remember actively suppressing 
the tears. Like I just left my grandma and I get emotional talking about it, but I just left my grandma like in the hospice for the very last time. Like that was goodbye to grandma. And instead of getting into the car and like bawling my eyes out, which is like such a natural response, right? Like an expression to be like, oh my God, that's fucking heartbreaking. Instead, I just sat there in silence in the front seat with my dad also sat in silence. Like in that moment, we should have been like, this is so fucking sad. Like I love her so much. I can't believe I'm crying. But it's true, right? Because we suppress these things and we just think like, I'm just going to hold it in and blah, blah, blah. And you have just perfectly summarized it there, which is like, I think I'm emotionally available. But in those two situations, I did not identify or express my emotions. So I hope that people can understand that this doesn't have to just apply to romantic relationships as well. Like I think it can apply to so many things. So that is really fascinating. Yeah. And that story you share, it is heartbreaking, but it's so, I think, illustrative of how a lot of us grew up, that there were really emotional things happening, painful things happening. And we kind of looked to our parents as a cue to how to respond. And if our parents were not in touch with their feelings, we didn't feel safe expressing ours. We, we learned that, you know, pretty quickly in our families, just by observing, just by being in the family system. And it makes me think of my own kids. So I have two daughters who are eight and 10 and a half. And a couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, having a bad night. My girls came in my room. It was bedtime. I'm trying to get them to bed and they were having a good old time. They came into my bedroom and I was crying because I was just so overwhelmed. And my daughter, Pippa, who's eight, she hates to see me upset. So she ran in the shower and hid and she was upset. So, you know, what I could have done is just ignored that, but that's not the kind of family we have. I understand how important emotional attunement is. So I went and found her in the shower and we talked about how she was feeling and it's hard for her to see me sad. And, you know, I said, it's okay to be sad. We all get sad sometimes. And we talked about it. Then she felt better. But a lot of us, and I only know this because I'm a psychologist and because I'm trying to repair the things I didn't get as a child. Trust me, I'm, I'm screwing them up in other ways. <laughs> but um, a lot of us did not get this messaging that, listen, feelings are good. Feelings are a part of life and they need to come out. They're not right or wrong. They're not good or bad. They're just guideposts for us. And if something is happening internally, it needs to be expressed a lot of us got the opposite message again, which causes a lot of problems for us as adults. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate your vulnerability and I know that everyone else will as well. And what was coming to me when you were talking there was like, once again, the connection to our nervous systems, which is one of my favorite things about this podcast is how we're taking psychology and we're combining it with this more body approach and really just educating from all angles. But I think if you take Pippa there, if you think of fight, flight or freeze, she flew, right? Like she ran away because she could. But if you think of me, it was like I froze in my moment because I couldn't run away. Like I was sat in the car, there was nowhere I could go. These emotional experiences will overwhelm our systems at times. We cannot live a life 
without them. And actually that's what Gabor Mate says is that parents should never be trying to create a life without pain for their children. It is physically impossible. They need to just create a life where they can teach their children how to navigate the pain in the best way possible. And so I just love that we're talking about this and understanding that these things really can impact our nervous system and we all will have reacted differently. We all have a genetic and learned disposition to how we handle conflict, how we handle emotions. And my father is on the spectrum, very, very little emotion. So is it surprising that those two experiences and my childhood coping mechanism was just disconnect and shut down? No, now we're having this discussion. I'm like, oh, it makes total sense. So I hope that everyone listening is maybe having some of these light bulb moments as well. But now we've spoken about how this forms, and I think you've shared so much valuable info there. Let's get into how it shows up in practice, because it's not just it's not just shutting down when we feel emotion. It shows up in so many different dynamics, particularly in relationships. So I'd love it if we could start to go through some of the signs that you might actually not be emotionally available after all. All right. So the first sign that you may not be emotionally available is if you are a people pleaser, because people pleasers are focused on keeping everybody else happy and they are not focused on their own feelings, emotions, and internal experience. This can also show up in codependent relationships. So if you tend to be the one that is constantly caretaking or giving or trying to keep other people happy, you may feel like you're very emotionally available because you're there for people. They can talk to you about their feelings if they want. But in fact, if you're not part of that equation, if you're constantly externalizing, if you're constantly focused on keeping other people happy and how other people feel, you're probably emotionally unavailable because you're not tuned in to yourself or expressing what you need or how you feel. So do you think it's fair to say there that what that means is because you're not emotionally available, you give, give, give so much to someone else and you're happy to talk about their feelings, but you're not able to connect inwards to say, oh, I feel this and I need this. And then you're not able to express it outwards in that sort of two-stage process that we spoke about earlier. And if you were emotionally available, you might be able to tap into yourself and say, this feels a lot. This feels very overwhelming. I feel very pressured and burdened to help this person. I'm scared that I can't do enough for them. I'm scared that they're sick, you know, all of these things. And then you would maybe communicate to that person if you had like a healthy expression and coping style. Is that kind of what you're saying is that if you could tap inwards, you would, and then you would communicate to the other person, but you don't. So you don't set boundaries. You just want to be everyone to be happy. You just want to stay quiet and just let everyone else do their own thing. Yes. And it probably is that you're not even aware of what you're feeling or what you need. If you were, it might also sound like, you know, I could help you here. I could drive you here. I could find this therapist for you, but I don't want to. I'm tired. (laughs) And again, like this is very complex. This isn't just about being emotionally unavailable. It's also about things we've talked about before, like our roles in childhood, our templates of love. But if this is you, it also means you're emotionally unavailable. You're not connected to your own self, your own emotions and needs. And I'll also say that if this is you, at some point, you probably will start to feel resentful because your needs are not getting met. And so you may feel that you are the one in the relationship that constantly gives 
and it's not reciprocal. Okay, the second sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you like to keep things light, fun, superficial, and you avoid deeper conversations. So for instance, you know, this could be in relationships, it could be in friendships, you show up, let's say you're having a really bad week, you've been really sad, really down, really scared, whatever it is, and you're the type of person that's like, okay, I got to get myself together, I'm meeting the girls for you know, drinks tonight, or we're going to lunch, and I've got to like put the happy face on. Instead of saying, I can't wait to be around my girlfriend so I can get some support and tell them how I've actually been feeling. And you show up and you cry at the table (laughs) because that's what you're feeling. If you tend to avoid really showing people how you feel and feeling like you have to keep that face on, which is exhausting, by the way, that is a sign that you are emotionally unavailable. And if you can keep that face on, you are a stronger woman than me because I, if I need to cry, I physically cannot hold it in. It's like, it's like a a baby tsunami out of my eyeballs. Like it's coming. There's no way you can stop it. And if someone like even looks at me, I'm like, ah, like crying, crying, crying. So there has to be a lot of suppression to really suppress that and mask it and be able to act like nothing's happened. So I think that's a really interesting point. And you're so right about this keeping things light, fun and superficial and taking this into like the situationship space. I think this is such an important point because I see so many people being like, I'm dating, I'm sleeping with someone, I'm being intimate. Like, of course I'm emotionally available. But the truth is, is like, is that constantly surface level? Is it constantly light and fun and sexual and dating and drinking? Never actually going deeper, never actually having those like more intimate conversations that is where I think you get into that situationship territory. Because if you're not emotionally available, not emotionally tapped in, you don't feel confident to emotionally express, like we talk about all the time, you're never going to say, I really am looking for intimacy and connection right now in my life. How do you feel about that? Because taking it back to the two-step process, you've identified what you feel, what you want, and then you've expressed it, giving the other person the opportunity to come back to whatever you said. But if you're emotionally unavailable, you're never going to have that identification and expression piece. So what happens? You have silence. What happens when you have silence? You have a ripe breeding ground for situationships. That is literally how they develop, where you mistake attention for intention and the silence just like steamrolls everything. So that is the point I want to make there is like, you can be dating people, you can be sleeping with people, you can be on the apps, but you can still be emotionally unavailable and it can be subconsciously driving all of the dating interactions that you are having and the relationships that you're having and the way that the relationships are panning out. And maybe we'll get to this at some point, but you can also be in a relationship and be emotionally unavailable. And I think we should touch on that later in the episode because it defines the entire dynamics of the relationship, right? Absolutely. I mean, that emotional intimacy, that emotional connection, you know, is the foundational piece of a romantic relationship, of a deep connected relationship. So yes, you can absolutely be in a relationship but not be emotionally available. And, you know, we will talk more about that. The third sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is that you appear to be very independent and self-sufficient. And in fact, you pride yourself on that. And you feel smothered by emotional closeness or emotional intimacy. And again, this 
all goes back to childhood. It's very scary to let people really see you and let people get close to you or rely on people if that is not how you were responded to as a child when you showed your pain, your sadness, your fear. Yeah, this ties into a lot of what we've been covering on the father wound with Stephanie, as well as how if your father didn't hug you, cuddle you, pick you up when you cried, ask you, how are you feeling? What's coming up for you? What can I give you? How can dad make it better? You know, all of those things that so many of us not only cannot connect with or relate to, did not have that experience, but also actually like those kind of things make us feel uncomfortable. Like you see it on TikTok all the time in my comments section, people being like, the thought of my dad hugging me literally makes me feel nauseous. And they're not being they're not being mean to their dad. Like the truth is, is that their nervous system is not attuned to comfort from the father figure in their life. It makes them feel incredibly uncomfortable. And I think that's what we've been speaking about is like, you go into this more armored sense of, I don't need that. I didn't get it. So I don't need it. And I'm going to be absolutely fine without it. And that's when you step into more of your own masculine as a female, if you're listening to this as a female, and I think that point around independence is, is really important. You know, you think, I don't need anyone. I don't need a relationship. But I think, again, taking it back to our two-step process, the truth underneath that armor is that I believe that we're all biologically wired for connection. And I think it can be very, very scary for us if we haven't experienced it. So it's very easy for us to consciously think, I don't want it. I don't need it. It feels horrible. I'm good on my own. But I think part of the work can be unpicking those cycles and finding that tiny thread underneath, which is like the need for intimacy, the human need for connection. And as you start to pull that, you can unravel really what is going on there. So, yeah, that one's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, John Gottman, the psychologist, relationship researcher, he talks a lot about in happy, healthy couples, there's this bid for connection that one person makes which is like, can I have a hug or reaching over to rub their partner's back? And the the importance of the other person bidding back, responding to that, leaning into that. And for many of us, we are so scared to make that kind of a bid, to be affectionate, to ask for anything, to show our love, because we don't expect it's going to come back to us. Like literally in our nervous system, we don't expect that to happen. Learning to be more emotionally available is going to be really uncomfortable and very terrifying for some. It's literally like that analogy I think I've used before, like being on a high dive, looking down at an empty swimming pool, and I'm telling you, no, you can jump, it's safe. There's water there, but you can't see it. It's hard to believe it because you've never experienced that before. So I just wanted to make that point that, you know, it's not like you can just flip a switch and say, okay, I'm going to share my feelings. It's it's literally baby steps. It's leaning into being vulnerable, being more honest, expressing a little more than maybe you typically would, and then kind of sitting with what happens after that. Yeah. And for anyone that does want to start that journey, we're going to be doing a ton more on that this year on the Open House podcast and hopefully with a lot more resources that we're going to be creating. But for now, episode 74, that is where you should start. We had a lovely embodiment coach on called Angie Lila River, and she just started to share how you can start to feel your feelings, identify your feelings and express them if you never have done so before. So please do head and check that episode out. Okay. So 
The fourth sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you overuse humor as a way to deflect real emotion. And again, we all know these people. We may be these people. We're funny. We crack jokes all the time. And that is a part of our personality, probably. But here's the thing. We tend to overuse that as a way to keep people at bay, as a way to hide our real feelings. So learning how to be more honest and more authentic instead of always going to the humor or the comedy will be important in learning how to be more emotionally available. But for many of us, humor, we learned to use that to survive our childhood. And as adults, we continue to do this until we realize it's kind of keeping people from deeply connecting with us. Yeah, I once used to live with someone who their entire personality was just based around humor. And I found it really difficult to live with because I'd started my self-work journey at this point and I was very clear on this point around humor as a deflection tactic. And it just felt very difficult to build a real relationship with this person because everything was a joke. Everything was a joke, like everything to the point that I was like, I literally can't even have a real fucking conversation with you because like everything is funny or whatever. So yeah, I think it can come in different extremes, like just making jokes in in signs or in times of conflict or in times of discomfort, or it can literally be your entire personality, like the funny one. Absolutely. The fifth sign that you might not be emotionally available is if you never want to label the relationship or define it. For somebody who is uncomfortable labeling a relationship or defining it, it's a sign that you don't want to be too close. You don't want to be sort of fenced in with somebody. So you always keep people at bay. You'll have really good reasons for it. You'll have really good excuses for it. But if this is a pattern for you, it is a sign that you are emotionally unavailable. Yeah, it sounds like situationship territory again to me. And I'm a big fan of a relationship. Like I'm either very single and like not dating and not doing anything or I'm in a relationship. So I personally haven't had a ton of experience in that, like not wanting to define it thing. I think when you have an anxious attachment, you're like, I want to fucking define this. Like, give me the definition, like show me what's going on here. Like, are you my boyfriend? Like, et cetera, et cetera. But I, there's this guy in our, in our circle of friends and He's like been renowned for having like, he had a girlfriend for three years, but he wouldn't call her his girlfriend. And I was like, that is interesting. You're in a relationship, but the only thing that you cannot do is put the label on it. So there's something around that label. There's something around that commitment there, like that that concept of commitment that is just too much for your body to handle. So I think that that's that's a good one to notice. Yeah, the... Sixth reason, the sixth sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you constantly find a reason to end your relationship. So if you tend to cycle through relationships, a lot of the listeners will be too young to remember this show, but Seinfeld is an example of this. So on the show Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld would constantly cycle through women and he would always find some comical reason to end the relationship. But a lot of people are actually like this because they're seeking perfection. 
So it might be they don't like the way someone eats or, you know, they feel someone talks too much or someone doesn't like to ski, whatever it is. If you are someone that always finds a reason why someone isn't good enough, you want to look into that. That may mean that you actually just want to keep people at bay. You don't actually want to be with somebody long enough where you will have to reveal more of who you are and how you feel. I think this concept really ties into shame, which I've shared a number of times has been like such a huge part of my personal healing journey is like, I didn't know how riddled with shame I was and how it tied back to my deep core of my being around these beliefs that like, I'm unlovable and like, no one's ever going to love me and everyone's going to leave me and blah, blah, blah. I once had a friendship breakdown with someone a while back because I couldn't handle like the things that were going on in her life. I, w- I was just being so judgmental over them. And it was my shame that was like judging her life. Like I, it wasn't the way that I would have lived my life. And it was really triggering for me. And we've actually started to rebuild our friendship, which is really nice. And I think hope for people that you can have breaks from friendships and you can come back to them when you are in different places in your life. But she said, you know, she sent me a message saying, I've gone to therapy to to talk about this because it's broken my heart the way that this has happened. And actually my therapist has like brought up this concept that you are dealing probably with some element of shame here, which is why you are criticizing me because you can't handle those insecurities in another person. That obviously ties back to my like insane levels of perfectionism and control and achievement in my own life, which is like, I have to have my shit together. So I I really want to go into shame on the podcast. It'll probably be a whole different episode, but I just thought it was really important to sort of drop that in there around this point of like wanting to seek perfection and being critical of another person. Like often it can come from like a shame-based place rather than just a being mean or having the ick. Like there's often something deeper going on there. Yeah. I mean, I would say it, it always comes from judgment of yourself and shame. Like we judge other people to the degree we judge ourselves. So, yeah, I think that could be a completely different episode, but that shame, shame in and of itself is a universal feeling. And like you're saying, it's not something we talk about because it's so, there's so much tied to it. And so most of us spend most of our lives either not in touch with that deep shame or trying to hide it or cover it up from other people, which is very much related to emotional unavailability, right? We feel if people really see who we are, if they see those shameful parts of us, and I'm I'm putting quotes around shameful, um, that we will be unlovable. So yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up and I hope we do dive more into that. Okay, so the seventh sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you avoid conflict in your relationships. So something's bothering you, there's an issue, your partner hurt your feelings, you don't bring it up. You're not honest about how you're feeling or that you're upset about something. And again, we've learned this from childhood, probably in our minds think we're doing a good thing for the relationship. We're not making a big deal out of things. We're afraid of what would happen if we did share our feelings, but conflict is an important part of every relationship. Relationships without conflict mean there is a lack of connection. (laughs) So it's not about avoiding conflict. You need to learn how to move through conflict together 
And that takes two people who are emotionally available, willing to go there and willing to work through the issues and the feelings that relationships bring up. So if you avoid conflict, you try to smooth everything over, suppress your feelings, that's a sign that you're emotionally unavailable. Okay, the eighth sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you have trouble just holding space for somebody else's feelings. You may think you're comfortable with that, but if you find yourself wanting to fix someone's problem or jump in and help make them feel better, cheer them up, that's not a good thing. That's actually not helpful. (laughs) When somebody brings their feelings to you, if you automatically want to jump in and fix things, that probably is a sign that you're uncomfortable just sitting with the feeling. And or if somebody brings up their feelings and you get really uncomfortable and maybe deflect so that you don't have to talk about it, that again is a, another sign that you're not an emotionally available person. And we're also talking about emotional safety here. So emotionally safe people are emotionally available people. That means people feel comfortable bringing their feelings to you, showing up authentically, and they know that it's a safe place where you're not going to try to talk them out of their feelings, fix their problem, cheer them up, And again, it can come from a good place because this maybe is what you received as a child. You know, like we were sad and your mom said, here, here's a piece of candy. Or, you know, she fixed every problem for you instead of letting you work it out yourself. But this is another sign that you might be emotionally unavailable or not an emotionally safe person, friend, partner. I'm very guilty of being like the fixer. And I think that that's probably because I am very comfortable in my masculine energy. And I've really learned through my therapy journey to say to my friends, how can I help you in this moment? Do you want me to listen or do you want solutions? And yesterday I didn't do that. Like I was at the gym, I was on the stepper. So, you know, you're just not in the right headspace when you're exercising hard because you're going through discomfort and you're just texting really fast and you're like listening to music. And my friend was sending me all these messages and I, she's in what I personally think is a very abusive and unhealthy relationship. So of course, where I come from with all the work that I've done, for me, it's like, you need to get the fuck out of this. Like it's very black and white for me. And she was very upset because she felt like I wasn't giving her nuance to the situation to understand. And the truth is I wasn't giving her nuance because I was like, there are so many red flags in this situation that I, you need to leave now. And in that moment, I realized like, I didn't ask her if she wanted me to listen. I just went straight in with the fixing. This is a problem. This is a problem. You need to do this. If I was you, I would do this. And it really, really upset her. And we then had to spend some time working through that and me basically saying, I'm trying to be protective of you, trying to be a good friend. I understand that maybe you need to make your own decisions in life and I need to give you space to do that. So yeah, very guilty, very guilty of the fixing. That's definitely one that I relate to. Yeah. And I love that example. It's always great to ask somebody, what is it you're wanting in this moment? Do you want me to listen and just want space or do you want me to help you? Like, do you want advice or, you know, me to help you with something? So yeah, I love that. Okay. So the ninth sign that you might be emotional unavailable, and this is such a big one. This is one of my biggest pet peeves, especially, you know, as I'm looking through social media, all the reality stars, all the celebrities who are looking for love. And that is a focus, an over-focus on presentation, outward appearance, all this superficial stuff that 
ultimately is not going to get you a healthy, sustainable relationship. So if you are someone that spends so much time perfecting your external appearance, what you wear, your makeup, your hair, and you look for that in someone else too, that could be the case. Sometimes it's just, we want to be the perfect package. We go on dates. We got to look perfect. Our nails have to be perfect. If you focus there, you're likely to be emotionally unavailable because you're not going into dating or meeting someone wanting to connect emotionally. You are focused on the external, which is the least interesting part about you. And it's it's the part that is not going to lead to any sort of sustainable connection. Does that make sense, Louise? Yeah, this one's so important. We've spoken about it on another podcast episode as well. And we just live in a society where like our identity is literally tied to that, like how we look and how we, how we're perceived. And it's a horrible cycle to be stuck in. And I've been there, always thought if I was prettier, if I was thinner, if I was sexier, if I was cuter, the guy will pick me, love me, choose me. And actually like, the last two relationships that I've had have been revolutionary because it wasn't about what I looked like at all. It was about the way I connected emotionally with the person. Like the relationships were built on real emotional connection and friendship. And then everything else like blossomed off the back of that. So I guess that was probably my first time where I ever actually entered into a relationship that was emotionally available because it was truly connected like inwards and and between us. So yeah, that's a really important one. Yeah. And it was probably scary the first time you did that with somebody. It was a new way of showing up. So I just want to remind people, it's not going to be comfortable, but if you want to disrupt your patterns and learn to be more emotionally available, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. Yeah. And on that, you know, we said in one of our bonus pieces of content last week that relationships are the ultimate vehicle for you to learn about yourself and to do the healing and to do the work. And I do actually think that so much trauma, so much stuff can come up when you're finally in an emotionally available relationship because you've basically suppressed it your whole life. That the first time that you actually have someone who can sit there and hold you physically, emotionally, spiritually, everything with both hands and can handle everything that's coming up for you, it fucking comes up. Like that relationship, the one before this, you know, I I always say it was redemptive. Like our inner child could just be all of our pain, everything on the surface. It was messy as fuck. Like it was messy. It was painful. So you're right. Yeah. It was the first emotionally available relationship I had. Was it an absolute roller coaster? Absolutely. But I had to go through that to learn how to be able to bring my darkness into a relationship And now I'm in a relationship where, again, it's all welcome. It's all present. I can cry. I can break down. Whatever it is I need to do, I can do it. But I'm able to do it in so much more of a regulated way because it's like the suppression thing, right? If you suppress something your whole life, it like tries to explode and come out when you give it the tiniest outlet. But the more outlets that you give this emotion to come out, it no longer needs to explode. You no longer need to break down, fight, cry, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I love that about it is uncomfortable, but it's the first step you can take towards building a comfortable relationship and a comfortable relationship with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And we call that in psychology, a corrective emotional experience. So even though it's not about how the other person responds to us, it really isn't. The medicine is us being more authentic, 
showing up a little bit more than we normally had, leaning into that discomfort, even if the other person doesn't respond well to that. That's not the point. But when we do find someone who can hold space for us or respond to us in a way that we've never received before or allowed ourselves to receive before, that is a corrective emotional experience. And that does change our brain. It does shift our nervous system. It's those baby steps that we've talked about that leads to real transformation. So I love that example. I'm so glad you've referenced that point around corrective emotional experience because you and I have never actually spoken about it, but I was reading about it before and basically understanding that like, I think I was reading an article where it was basically saying that to truly get over heartbreak, like you can get over it on your own, but it is the next experience of love that will help you to override the last experience of love. And it's just why it's really important that we try and stay open and not necessarily that we keep dating constantly through heartbreak, but that we just remain open to connection and to experiences and to love, even when we have gone through really, really deeply painful events, because that is, like you said, how we rewire that brain of ours. Absolutely. All right. So we have two more left. Moving on to number 11, the 11th reason, the 11th sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is if you're you're the kind of person that likes to play it cool, kind of be standoffish or mysterious. And that is because you don't want to show somebody your messiness, your true needs and feelings. It really goes back to that shame that we were speaking about before. So if you feel like you always have to keep a little bit of space, you always want to be mysterious, and that's how you keep somebody interested, that is a definite sign that you are emotionally unavailable. And number 12, the 12th sign that you might be emotionally unavailable is in your relationships, you never seem to get closer So again, this could be because you are emotionally unavailable, could be because your partner is emotionally unavailable or both. But if you never get to that place where you really feel safe being fully seen, bawling your eyes out, you know, showing your messy parts, really having this type of emotional bond that you don't have with many people in your life, that's a sign that there's a block there and that it probably has something to do with being emotionally unavailable. I think it's so important that we're going through all of these. And I hope that people that are listening can either, like we've delivered the episode from a you perspective. So you can ask yourself, do you do any of these things? But I think it can equally be applied to anyone around you, anyone you love, anyone that you're dating, anyone you're in a relationship with. And I think it's really, really important. And I feel like it's just, and I think as we end this episode, I just want to conclude by saying that these can show up in so many different ways. You know, we've run through 12 of these key ways already, but that ultimately it comes back to these core foundational pieces, which is like this fear of intimacy, this fear of abandonment and rejection, and ultimately this inability to connect inwards and express outwards because we weren't taught to do that in childhood. So I think it's really important as we go through all of these to always be thinking like, what's at the root of this? Like dig down, dig down, keep digging into it. And I think what you've taught me is like, we were never taught to connect to ourselves in our internal world as children. So many of us 
were not. And if you had parents that said to you, how are you feeling? What's coming up for you? Where do you feel it in your body? What can I do to help you? Then that is so frigging beautiful. And that is, if I ever become a mum, exactly how I want to be parenting my children. And I think that by listening to this, you're not only breaking your own personal patterns and it can be a step towards being able to experience emotional intimacy and real truth being seen by other people in either the present or the future. But you're also breaking generational cycles. Like by listening to this, you are going to change the way that you parent your children if you have them or the way that you help to parent your nieces and your nephews. And, you know, there's such a huge ripple effect from this episode. And I I feel like I wish we could just keep going. But as ever, we're coming up for time. I know we wanted to talk a little bit more around where this can come from and some more traumatic experiences in childhood, et cetera, et cetera. But I think my final question for you is, can you be temporarily emotionally unavailable? Or is it like you're either emotionally unavailable or not? Can you go through seasons? Can it come and go? I'd love to just wrap up there. It's possible that you are temporarily emotionally unavailable given circumstances in your life at the moment. So if you are grieving a past relationship, going through a breakup, dealing with something really stressful or traumatic in your life, you may not be able to be emotionally available to a relationship or to a partner. And that's important to note because as you heal, as those external things shift and change, you may come back to, you know, being able to share openly your feelings, be ready to connect with somebody. What we're, I think mostly what we're talking about today is this pervasive pattern of somebody that has never learned to tune in with themselves, to ask themselves how they're feeling and to feel safe expressing that to another person. So... If you feel like you've recognized yourself in any of these things, the most important step in healing is to be honest with yourself. So instead of going and trying to express it to someone else, I would recommend you kind of journal or reflect on how were my emotions responded to when I was a child? What messages did I get about emotional expression? Kind of take the inventory of your family. If you go through all the members of your family, what emotions were allowed for each person to express and which emotions were off limits? And you can start to kind of come up with the emotional model of your family and you will see then probably how you're carrying that into your adult life. And that's a great place to start that piece of awareness. Oh, so juicy. That sounds like a workshop to me. I'm like, I want to I wanna do that now. I'm having little light bulbs all over the shop going ping, ping, ping. So yeah, I love that. I think it's great. I think we're definitely going to get into the how to heal. Often I get people saying, but what do I do? What do I do next? We are going to get you there, people. We are going to take you there. We are going to give you everything you need. But the truth is, is that you can't get to the healing without the awareness. And I feel like where we are at this journey together for everyone that's on this journey with us is we are in awareness mode. We are starting to understand the different things that have impacted us and how they can show up in adulthood. And I think that once we've covered all of the foundations of that, we will start to move into the healing modalities, the rewiring of the brain, the regulating of the nervous system, the identifying of your own personal patterns, how they show up, et cetera, et cetera. So as ever, thank you so much. This has been a really, really important episode. I don't think when I planned it, I realized quite 
how important it was going to be. And there's been so much that's come up around emotional identification and expression that I'm like, wow, wow, wow. So thank you so much for your time, for your input, for everything you always offer to everyone that listens to this podcast. I love you and I will see you next episode. Love you too. Bye.